It's a blessing again to come your way this Wednesday evening with another teaching of the word. Teaching establishes the Christian. And it is God's desire that we grow into maturity in Christ. Last week, I shared with you on the motivation for serving Christ. Tonight, I came to ask you a question. Are you ashamed of Jesus Christ? Now, it sounds like a very funny question to ask Christians. But it will surprise you that there are many that profess his name, but they are ashamed to represent him. There are many that profess his name, but they are ashamed of his words. And the scripture tells us in Luke chapter 9 and the verse number 26, and then Mark chapter 8 verse 38, these are two scriptures we're going to read. They are the same things, but just that they were written by different uh, men of God. Uh, but it describes the same uh, situation that Jesus posed this question. And he made mention of very interesting things that I want to draw your attention to tonight. In Luke chapter 9 and the verse number 26, Jesus said, For whoever is ashamed of me, ladies and gentlemen, at this point he wasn't talking to non-believers. At this point he was talking to his disciples. Already during this teaching in Luke chapter 9, especially from the verse number 23, he was teaching them about discipleship, the costs of discipleship. We don't just follow him. There must be a deliberate intention to follow him. There are principles that we need to follow in following Jesus Christ. And he made it very, very clear. We don't call the shots as to how we want to worship him. He calls the shots on how we worship him and how we follow him. And in, during this period, then the Bible said, he said to them, for whoever is ashamed of me, number one, me, that is Christ, and my words, too. So there are two things there that he said it is possible that we are going to be ashamed of. Let's go on. All right. It says, if anyone, let's take it from verse 23 first. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. You see, he's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to believers. Maybe let me help you to know that he's talking to believers. Because it's, you need to understand he's talking to believers to understand the message I'm about to preach. Let's take it from verse 18. And it happened as Jesus was alone praying that his disciples joined him. And he asked them saying, who do the crowd say that I am? So you see that he was alone and only his disciples, these are the people who had believed in him. These were believers who had come close to him alone where he was. And then he asked them, who do men or people say that I am? So they answered John the Baptist. Some said you are Elijah. And others say that you are one of the old prophets that have risen again. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Then Peter said, you are the Christ of God. And he strictly warned and commanded them. You see, it's not the crowd. He warned and commanded the believers who had come to him, his disciples. 
and said to them, tell no one about this. And said to them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then he said to them, you see the them again, it's not the crowd, it's not unbelievers, them, those who came to ask him the question, those who were alone with him. He then said this to them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Verse 25, for what profit is it if a man gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? And verse 26 is our text. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. Amen. I want us to look at the counterpart scripture in Mark chapter 8 and the verse number 38. And in verse 38 of Mark chapter 8, Jesus again speaking said, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, he repeats this thing. In this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. Amen. Tonight the question is, are you ashamed of Christ? Number two, are you ashamed of his words? And it will interest you to know that Jesus was concerned that people who claim to believe in him, it is possible they will be ashamed of him and ashamed of his words. But that is where the danger is because he says, those who are ashamed of him and his words in this adulterous and sinful generation, he's coming back again. So he gives us a clue that he's coming back. And that when he comes back, he's also going to do the same thing to us. He's going to be ashamed of us before his father, before his glory, and before the angels in heaven. That means he's not going to acknowledge and honor us. It is one thing just like we learned last week to be hosting Jesus at a party and he's not happy with you. And in the same way, we need to be very careful as we profess to be Christians that we must be heavenly minded and make sure that we are ticking all the boxes according to the standards of Christ because he has been concerned that it is possible for us to be believers and yet be ashamed of him and ashamed of his words. And he says, because when he returns, he's going to be ashamed of us. That means there will be nothing for us. It is possible to profess to be a Christian, and yet on the last day, there will be nothing for you. I don't want him to be ashamed of me. Amen. Now, to be ashamed means to be shy, to be embarrassed by something, not to be confident about something, to fear ridicule. To fear ridicule. So to be ashamed means shy, embarrassed by something, embarrassed by something, embarrassed for being a Christian. Because there are many that only go to church 
But in the workplace, in the marketplace, in the office, in their neighborhood, they are very much embarrassed to identify themselves as Christians. It's very, very interesting that whenever anything comes into the media, it's amazing that the people that come out to fight the church were people who go to church. <laughs> it's very interesting. Anything that even a state is doing in to promote Christianity, you'll find Christians coming to criticize it. And you ask yourself, where do you stand? If it's any other religion, they won't come and do that. But it's people who claim to go to church, who, for whatever reason, I don't know who they want to please. But tonight, I want you to make it a priority to please Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, the scripture says, Jesus says, if anyone is ashamed of me, number one, and of my words, in what way can we say we become ashamed of Christ? Can we say and act in ways that show that we believe in him? Are we able to tell people that we believe in Christ? Or our Christianity is just in secret? The Lord who sees in secret, he shall reward you openly. Your Christianity must be public. After all, anytime you claim to be a Christian, six of those nine alphabets that make up the word Christian is the name of the Lord. Christ. The IAN is just qualifying you. But you are called by the name of the Lord and yet you are ashamed to identify with him. Can we say that we believe in him? And when you believe in something, you show it with your whole body, your whole soul and your, own body, your, your whole spirit. You, you are so passionate about it. Those of us that love football, we don't hide at all which of the clubs we stand with. We are ready to even publicly make mockery of other teams to protect our own. And when we lose, we still come out to say, it doesn't matter, we are going to win again. You know, we, we come out to defend and we are so passionate about a team, a football club that did not die to save us. In fact, whether we, they win anything or not, they don't add anything to my life. But I'm so passionate about Chelsea and Accra Hearts of Oak. We are so passionate about it. There are people who will not go to church, but will go to the stadium to watch a Chelsea game. They won't come to church. They will not come to church, but they will go and watch Accra Hearts of Oak in Ghana. I believe that there are only two clubs in the world that are the best in the world. A crowd has a folk and Chelsea. When you take the pulpit, you can also see yours. But I believe that all this, the way we are so passionate about our football, sometimes people fight. People are so passionate to make people know that they belong to this political party. They wear the paraphernalia of those clubs and parties. I have a Chelsea kit. I've got the, uh, the scarf. Everything. This house is fully Chelsea. <laughs> Phobia items, we have them. You wear them at the right time. But it tells you where the passion is. In the same way, I don't hide my intentions about Jesus Christ. 
And that's where I'm driving you today. We are passionate about many things and we make people know that that's where we stand. Every one of you that actually have, you are passionate about a football club. That club has lost before, but you have never changed clubs. You have never changed it. And you have not been shy about it. It's amazing when men of God come on social media and they are defending their clubs. Whether they lose or not, they are standing there. And I just look at it and say, do we do the same thing about Jesus Christ? Those of us that go to church, if we are not ashamed of football clubs, some of the players of those clubs, they are not born again. We hear what they do with their money. They do stuff with the money that has nothing to do with God, church, or righteousness. And yet, we support those clubs. And when it comes to Christ, it feels like you have to be prophesied unto, giving word of knowledge, bind and loose before you can identify that you are Christ. Your neighbors don't know anything about Christ around you. You don't smell of Christ. You don't look anything Christian. You hide your Bible and thank God these days. These days, people don't hold on to their physical Bibles. Everything is on your phone so you can go in and come back and nothing actually identifies you at all. If we came into your community and asked the neighbors, is this one a Christian? They wouldn't know what to say. Tonight, why do you do that to Christ? Our Christianity is not supposed to be in the quiet. It's supposed to come out. Amen. As I wrote a few weeks ago, the gospel is not what we come to church to hear. The gospel is what we come to church to be equipped to go out and tell. So people that we work with, are we able to identify ourselves with Christ? Or we are ashamed of Christ? We are ashamed of Christ. We are embarrassed. Can we boldly proclaim that we serve him and that we represent him? Can we boldly say that we represent Christ and that we serve Christ? Some of us go to work after Sunday. Monday you get to work. How was your weekend? And you don't mention anything about church. You will talk about all other things for fear of embarrassing someone. It's very clear and obvious you are embarrassed about Jesus Christ. You are not bold to tell people you went to church. Because you are afraid, those, oh, you are one of those church folks. I'm not religious. You don't want to hear those words. But church, Jesus made a very, very grave statement here. For whoever is ashamed of me in this world, I will be ashamed of that person when I come in my glory. It means that you may lose something. It means that you are not going to have a certain level of blessing with the Lord. It means that when it comes to rewards and crowns, you may lose out. It means something so important for the Son of God to make this serious statement here. And when he was talking about discipleship, he said to Christians that any one of us who are Christians, as for those who are not born again, they don't know him already. So they can't be accused of being ashamed of him. They just don't know him. But you that know him, are you very, very sure that you are not embarrassed about being a Christian? There are a lot of things that people speak against Christians, especially in this day. Are you able to stand out and say you still stand for Christ? 
There are arguments against his existence. There are arguments against the fact that he didn't die. There are arguments against his person as God. Do you believe him as God? Can you come out and tell people you believe he is God the Son? Are you confident to defend that position? This evening, we are about to celebrate Christmas. <laughs> there are a lot of things that go on. Where do you stand as a believer? Are you ashamed of him? Or you are bold to come out to say you believe in Jesus Christ? I'm not asking you to say you are a Christian. I want you to believe Jesus Christ. Because there are so many people that call themselves Christians. And that's what Jesus wants to bring the demarcation, the difference here. That if we are Christians, if we believe in him, we should not be ashamed of him. Two things he mentioned there. Ashamed of me and my words. I'll come to my words. But ashamed of him. First, ashamed of him. Are we able to identify with him when we meet a group of atheists? When we meet our colleagues or is it because we are all intellectuals? You, you don't want to be seen as the one who is intellectually bankrupt to believe such an anomaly. To believe this Christ. To believe that you know, a virgin could give birth to him. Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Are we going to argue on the basis of our intellectual knowledge? I've come to the place that the highest level of intellectual knowledge still does not match up to explain anything about God. Because if we want to go that way, you will never be able to understand. That's why he told Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that I have told you earthly things and you are a doctor of the law. I have told you earthly things and you are struggling to understand. How would you understand when I tell you heavenly things? If Jesus had to tell you the calculations and the formula upon which they suspended the earth, you, 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 you will not be able to understand it. Because the Bible says there's no end to the searching of his knowledge. So there are many things that go on. There are many religions. There are many that are anti-church, anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-religion. When we find ourselves in their midst, do we boldly come out to let people know that we are not ashamed of Jesus Christ? One day Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, why do Paul have to say that? Because it's a common thing that has been going on. We have never been bold. We hide our faith. We are not living in countries where it is illegal to be a Christian. And yet the majority who call themselves Christians are not sometimes seen on the streets. In their own personal lives, we don't. Somebody needs to descend you by the Spirit to know that you are a believer. Jesus is saying that we must let people see it. Amen. From this evening, be unashamed for identifying with Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter who it is. I, I am not ashamed of anybody. It doesn't matter what they think. They have attained intelligence or intellectualism to a certain level. They are nothing before God. So I don't need to be very much ashamed of them. I'm believing something that their intellect can't grasp. And that is the mindset with which we must shamelessly proclaim Christ in our conduct, in our behavior, and in any way that we can represent him. 
Can you really wear a, a t-shirt which says Jesus Christ is Lord and walk on the streets? Or you are afraid people are going to look at you. So you wear a jacket on top of it when it's not even cold. When we meet Muslims, are we able to say that we are Christians or we try to be nice? <laughs> okay, yeah, I understand. You don't have to understand them. They are not saved. The Bible is very clear. Except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 4 verse 12, that there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved except the name of Jesus the Christ. That's it. For there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The Bible says this is a worthy saying and worthy of all exhortation that Jesus Christ came to save sinners of which Paul said he was chief. Jesus is the one who came to save sinners. Are we able to stand like this and defend Christ that way? Are we able to let people know that we love Jesus? And I'm not talking about lip service. I'm talking about your life itself is testifying that you actually believe and you are not ashamed of Jesus Christ. Because your whole conduct is being informed by his instruction. That's when you represent him. Paul again wrote and said, there's only one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. Not Confucius, not any of all the other religious leaders. No. Can you, can you represent Christ this way? Tonight, I want you to reflect. It's Christmas time. This thing is not about chicken, rice, and stew. This is about representing Jesus. It's not about turkey. All these animals are struggling. One of my friends from our old students platform put a, a photo there a few weeks, a few days ago. It was very funny um, that the chicken is complaining. And he said he doesn't know what he has done. He doesn't know whether because when Peter was about to betray Jesus, that he's, he went to say something. That since then, anything about Jesus, they have to kill a chicken. Easter, they kill chicken. Christmas, they kill chicken. Anything about Jesus' celebration, they are killing chicken. So the chicken is complaining that he doesn't know. So God should forgive him. That this matter that he went to put his mouth into. <laughs> it looks like from that day, Christians have targeted it. And are consuming it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's not about any of all these things. It's about Jesus Christ. Can we represent him even now? Can we? Can he count on us? Can we mention him in the presence of others? Can we teach about him boldly? This evening, I want you to reflect on this. In the name of Jesus. What kind of Christian are you? Are you shy to identify with Christ? And yet we take his as I'm a Christian. Then that's where we stop. That's it. I'm a Christian. We stop there. We don't, we don't want people to know how much we are. How, how, how well we know him. Can we mention him? These days when you mention him on buses, people will turn and look at you. Yes, be proud of that. Be proud of Christ. Represent Christ. We are not ashamed to say we know some politicians. But we are ashamed to say we know Jesus Christ. Here we go to church. Some of our actions show that we are embarrassed to be connected to him. 
we don't want to be put to shame. That's why we don't come out to go to evangelism. We, we don't like that. We don't like people mocking at us. But ladies and gentlemen, he said, take up your cross and follow me daily. The cross back then when Jesus was speaking was a symbol of cruelty and torture. And that is a symbol of killing the flesh. Take up the cross. Kill the flesh, your own pride. What shall a man gain if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? He says, if you are ashamed of me and my words, when it comes to that day, I will be ashamed of you. People, he means what he says and says what he means. You don't need to get there and be sorry. It's very, very important that we don't miss this. From tonight, may you make it a decision to shamelessly go all out and represent Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. Let people who come around, it shouldn't take them too long to know that you are a Jesus person. <laughs> In Jesus' name. Yeah, you are a Jesus person. <laughs> you are a Christ person. I had a professor in university, he calls me God, God man. <laughs> Says the God, God man in the lecture room. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> Unashamed for Christ. In Jesus' name. When we are not embarrassed to represent Christ, God will not be embarrassed to put his glory on us. If you want to see the hand of God, be ready to walk with God the way he wants us to walk with him. He said, if you are ashamed of me, I will be ashamed. I mean, if we are ashamed of it, why do we want him to bless us? Would we be able to testify it is God? Or we are afraid that our intellectual guys will say, oh, this is coincidence. How well are we ready to defend what we believe? That's what Jesus is asking for here. That's what he said, whoever is ashamed of me first. Then he moves on to say, my words. My words. Verse 26. Luke chapter 9, 26, Mark 8, 38. Both scriptures on those two occasions, he still used the same words. Anyone who is ashamed of me, we've dealt with that. And my words. Because it is possible to say, well, I am not ashamed of Christ. But you are ashamed of his words. You are not able to defend those words. You are not able to practice those words. Which of the words are you ashamed of? He thought about heaven. Can you talk about heaven? Can you talk to sinners about heaven? Or you are afraid of ridicule? Your own ego, your pride. Are we able to represent the word? Shamelessly to talk about heaven. Jesus preached about heaven. So messages on heaven is part of his words. Are we ashamed of the message about heaven? About creation? Whenever he was posed a question, they posed a question to him. He takes them back to the beginning. He said from the beginning, he made them male and female. They did not evolve. Jesus' words says he made them male and female. Are you ready to defend this? Are you ready to say it or for fear that you'll be laughed at? This is faith. Amen. Heaven is real. Well, when you are here, you will not see it, but it's real. Heaven is real. As far as the word of God is concerned, it's not a myth. He stood there in Acts chapter 1. The Bible says, after he had told them that the kingdom of God is coming and that they will be baptized with the Holy Ghost and that they will receive power after the Holy Ghost had come, 
The Bible says, after he had said these things, after Acts chapter 1 verse 8 downwards, the Bible says, and they saw him to the Mount of Olives. And there he stood and was taken up into heaven. And angels appeared and said to them, ye men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up to heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken away from you shall come in the same way. Jesus physically left the earth. There is no grave anywhere that contains his body. So heaven is real. Himself said it to us. Says that in my father's house, there are many mansions. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Then he said, if it were not so, I wouldn't say it. He is God the son. He has no business lying to us. We lie to people who we, we, we are afraid of. But he has no business being afraid of us. Therefore, he doesn't lie to us. He said, if it is not true, I won't tell you. But I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he's gone. And we see revelations of heaven in the book of Revelation. Paul himself said he saw heaven, the third heavens. Isaiah and the rest of the prophets in their prophetic writings were giving glimpses of heaven. And so heaven is real. But how well have you prepared yourself? To study the word of God so that you will not be ashamed of the word. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God that brings salvation. It may not make sense, but it contains power that changes lives. Many lives have been changed by the word of God. Many destinies have been transformed by the word of God. Many who were prostitutes and sexually immoral have been changed by the word of God. Many who were on drugs have been affected by the word of God. People who were crazy guys, the word of God has affected them. Some of them are stable now. They are doing great things for God and they are organized in their lives. The word of God is powerful and we must not be ashamed of the word. He said, if you are ashamed of me, number one, and my words... Don't choose one of them. He wants both. And we should not be ashamed of him and his words. In Jesus' name. There are people who claim, I am a Christian. But when it comes to the teaching of Christ, you see them say, oh, but, um, oh, but this one. You, you don't bring a bat before the word of God. The word of God is final. In its authority, in all matters of faith and conduct. You don't say but. Say, oh, uh, how about these people? They were born this way. No, the word of God never says so. The word of God did not make a mistake in creating anybody. He didn't put any male accidentally, mistakenly into a female's body. God Almighty that we know in his word doesn't do that. When you sit among said people, say the truth of God's word. This is where the compromise starts. This is God's word. Jesus preached about homosexuals. He preached about that. But when it comes to the... Um, no, I'm a Christian, all right. You know, I'm a Christian, all right. But when it comes to these things, I don't want to judge. No, you, you are ashamed of the words of Jesus Christ. You are ashamed. You are ashamed of the words of Jesus Christ. You, you are happy to, to promote the agenda of a politician. You are happy to promote the agenda of people who want to flout God's words. You are happy to please your friends. But you are not happy to actually please Jesus Christ. He said, you are ashamed of my words. Are we ashamed of his way? We see it so many, so many Christians. I remember some years ago, we, during our new life school, uh, our school of the word, one of the subjects we were talking about was Christianity and other religions. And we're dealing with the other religions. Somebody who claims to know God for many, many, many years, she was arguing that 
Oh, but these people, they haven't done anything. Why are we talking about them? So the Muslims, we should leave them. They too, this is their faith. God knows how to handle them. I say, you are compromising the thing. See, this is the problem. You are compromising. There is only one way to the Father. Jesus said, I am the way. He taught that one too. He taught that one. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if somebody tells you there are many ways to the Father, and you are a Christian, and you are sitting in that assembly, and you are compromising the word of God, and saying that, yes, they may have a point. They don't have a point. If you say they have a point, you are ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are ashamed of his words. The words he has said, you are shy, you are embarrassed by it. Jesus said that he created the world. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word, W-O-R-D. The word was with God. The word was God. Then the Bible says, and all things were made for him by the word. And there was not anything made that was not made by him. So he made the world. He is creator as well. The word of God tells us so. Can we tell people this? I said no, but we have to understand maybe millions of years and millions of years and millions of years. Have we, have anybody changed to any other thing? Have we changed at all to any other animal? Or does the evolution end somewhere? Because evolution should be endless. So when we can't stand the word and use the word, and we try to be nice and compromise, according to the word of God, we are being ashamed of the gospel. We are being ashamed of his words. He says, anyone who is ashamed of me, one, and my words. And that's what I'm telling you, that my words part is so important. He didn't say, anyone who is just ashamed of me. He knew that sometimes people can say they are believers. It is when it comes to the words he has taught. Can we be unashamed about the words he has taught? And those are the examples I'm giving you. Can't start that religion. Oh, just leave them alone. Just leave them alone. We will leave them alone. If we want to leave them alone, you are ashamed of the gospel. You are ashamed. When it comes to hell, his word talks about hell. Two or three weeks ago, I, 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 I preached on hell. The word of God talks about hell. Say, so, oh, what kind of wicked God are we talking about? That is going to allow people to burn endlessly in hell. Well, he's God. You are human. You are talking about human rights all the time. How about God's rights? You didn't create yourself. He existed in his own wisdom created you. And you are claiming human rights. Then how about his rights for creating you? And how he wants you to live to give him joy. And he has decided that he has made such a place for the devil and his angels. You can choose to believe it or not. But when you say you are born again, you must not be ashamed of this very doctrine of Christ. Jesus preached about hell. In fact, the Bible talks more about hell than heaven. Check it. And I refer you to my book on doing the master's will. And the chapter that I talk about, because the, the reasons why we must um, preach the gospel. And I said, because of the reality of hell. The reality of hell. And you will see that hell is real. But are we bold to talk about it or we are shy the people there they come these are the judgmental people no because we don't want people to call us judgmental people so we are judging the word of god tells us to judge amen if we teach the word if we correct what is not right according to god's word we are not judging judgment is 
passing sentence and then sentencing someone to hell eternally. But if you are doing what is wrong and the word of God says you shall not commit adultery. And I come and say the word of God says you shall not commit adultery. Brother, you are committing adultery. Stop it. You say I'm judging you. The word of God says so. But this is where Christians, we, are, we want to protect ourselves. He said anyone that wants to save their skin, they shall rather lose it. Ladies and gentlemen, if the world would take God's word seriously, the people of God must take God's word seriously. Because if you are not convinced by your own convictions, who is going to listen to what you say? So which of his words are you ashamed of? Is it the teaching about heaven or about hell? I do remember when we were in secondary school. Some of our friends, when you are telling them to get born again, and that there is hell, they come and say, oh, hell will be very sweet. Hell will be enjoying because Bob Marley will be there. All the celebrities will be there. It will be powerful. They forget that Bob Marley was not buried with his equipment. <laughs> the scripture is very clear that hell is a place of torments. <laughs> you see how Satan can make people believe foolish things. And yet when we are Christians, we are not bold to teach this. We just tell people, you come to church, everything shall be alright. Listen, there is also the part of the gospel that warns people about an eternal hell. When do we read John 3.16? Do we understand it well? He says, for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. The opposite of that means anyone who do not believe in him will perish and will have eternal death, not eternal life. So if such a place exists, and Jesus also made it very clear in his teaching in Matthew, that hell and the lake of fire was originally prepared for the devil and his angels. So any other person who chose not to believe God, then you're going to go there. Are we confident to teach that or that one we are ashamed? We will look very stupid in the eyes of our friends. That how this world is sweet, do you think there's such a God who wants to burn people in hell? There is such a God whose laws must be followed. And he has made this very clear that when you don't follow it, you're going to spend that time. Revelation tells us that. Revelation 20, Revelation 21, Revelation 22. It says, and I saw a great white throne in heaven. And the Bible says that the books were open. And all that had died were standing before God, both small and great. And the books were open. And they were judged out of the things that were written in the books. And anyone whose name was not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Can we preach this? Or these are not the, you know, we have become politically correct. Many pulpits are dry and dead with no power because we want to please the people. A lot of pastors have backslided from the original message because they want to please the people instead of pleasing Jesus Christ. We are ashamed to preach some messages because they sound very ridiculous. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus said, if you are embarrassed, you are shy, you are ashamed of my words. In this adulterous and sinful generation, he will be ashamed of you. He's not going to recommend you. Ladies and gentlemen, the end is the key in Jesus' name. When it comes to faith in Christ, are we ashamed to preach on matters of faith? Or we must put a bat before everything. 
Yeah, I know that God works miracles, but this one we have to use common sense. No, this one we have to face reality. Ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing more real than the spirit world. If God is real and God is a spirit, the spirit world is more real than the natural. Amen. Faith in him. Are we able to preach that? We are in Christmas. See, I told you it's about the chicken. But can we boldly defend the Christmas message? Preach it that a virgin gave birth. Think about it. If you are a scientist, how does such a biological anomaly be something that you want to defend? It doesn't make biological sense. For a virgin to be with child, it doesn't make sense. Some people have even mocked the word of God to say, how do we believe such fables that we still believe with all the intelligence? One day, one of my colleagues asked me that question. With all the knowledge that you have, you believe that a snake spoke to the woman? This is the word of God. And that's where some of us, we become ashamed. I said, I believe that. Because it's a matter of faith. <laughs> Amen. It's a matter of faith. Thank God for science. But science has not produced anything out of nothing. Whatever science has produced has already been put there by God. They haven't produced anything out of nothing. But God created this world out of nothing. Amen. The virgin birth. Can we not be ashamed of these words? Or this is, we don't talk about it again. We are not sure. Well, we have to leave it. I don't want this sort of argument. You must want it. In Jesus' name. The resurrection. Can we believe that word? Shamelessly tell people Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. Does it make scientific sense? Does it make sense in pathology? Does it make sense? Somebody's dead for three days, buried, with all the reactions that had taken place. How do you rearrange this? How do you say this person lives? How does he live? Oh, if such a God is, why are little children suffering from cancers? Where is God to save anybody? Why is he looking on and his world is getting, he made his mind very clear. But if you follow me, then I will do this. Once the creation fell, every other consequences of creation begins to take place. So if you're asking where he is, he's there. He has made a way by which we come to him. And we must respect him and believe him for his decisions because he is God. Amen. It's like a, a man walking the streets with all his hair bushy. And yet, he's saying that there's no barber. And he's passing the barbering shops and he's not entering. Enter one and see whether they won't put you into the right shape. If you enter the barbering shop, the guy will give you a neat, clean shave and cut. And you'll be different. So you can't go about with your hair unkempt and accuse all barbers that there's no barber. So that's why you are keeping your hair that way. There's a barber, just go to the shop. Things will change. You begin to look all right. You will look strange with that kind of hair. So the message of the resurrection is also true. But can you be a believer? Can you study the word? Can you teach this by faith? Because the gospel is summarized by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
In 1 Corinthians 15, I want you to look at it shortly as I bring this message to a close. I came to ask you questions as he's asking me to ask you. Today, reassess yourself as a Christian. The year is about to end. If Jesus should come on 31st December and he's making sure that all of us are not entry 2022, is he going to be ashamed of you or is he going to put glory on you? Every day as you live as a Christian, I want you to live your life with the mindset that the rapture can take place at any time or that the Lord can call you home at any time. Church, this thing is not fun. You think the Son of God died just for fun? No. God means what he was doing. He's giving us time to repent. It is good. The blessings of God will come on us and bless us and prosper us. But you know that all the prosperity even God will download on us. We will not be here forever on this earth. The next 100 years, everybody listening to me will not be here. If Jesus tarries, everybody will not be here. And what will happen to all the prosperity, all the money, the gold, the silver, and everything. That's why we must have a balance in our minds. That these things are given to us to enable us function effectively on the earth. But our preoccupation should be, as the hymn writer said, I have another world in view. My savior is going to prepare me a place. And that should inform your conduct and behavior and your relationship with your fellow man. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes and says in the verse number 1 and 2, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. I'm about to say to you, I'm about to present to you that gospel. What is that gospel? Which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand. So it was preached, it is received, and we stand in the truth of that gospel. By which also you are saved. We are saved by this gospel. And the gospel doesn't make sense. If you hold fast the word which you, I preached to you, unless you just believed in vain. Verse 3. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. And what is this gospel? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Do you believe that? Can you defend that? Can you say that? Are you ashamed of these words? That Christ died for our sins. How does one man dying on a cross 2,021 years ago, how does that affect my life? Well, according to the word of God, that death 2,021 years ago has a direct impact on your eternity. Your life, your salvation, it has a direct impact. We must not be ashamed of that. He said, I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. I just love this, according to the scriptures. And I'm sure most of you that know me, I always will quote a scripture to back something, according to the scriptures. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried according to the scriptures, rose again from the dead, according to the scriptures, and he was seen by Peter and by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to present time at the time this scripture was being written, and some have died. And after that, he was seen by James and by all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen by me also, as one who was born out of due time. 
Paul is saying that the gospel that was delivered to him, which he believed, which he also preached to others, is that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. Can we teach people this? Or we want to be nice. Uh, we want to provide, you know, 72 steps for success. In a way, it's, we don't want to preach these things. We want to sound, you know, very, very intellectual to people. We want people to see the wisdom. Listen, wisdom, intellectual, uh, motivation seminars, all those things, they don't, win, they don't get anybody saved. They are good. They will motivate people to acquire things on earth. But the key to salvation is the word of God through the gospel. And are we ashamed of this gospel? Hallelujah. Are we ashamed of his words that teaches us to pray without ceasing? Or we, we no longer pray. We intellectualize everything. So the Japanese are not Christians. The Chinese are not Christians. You know, even those who brought the Christianity to Africa, they have stopped doing these things. The, the Europeans, they are, most of them don't go to church anymore. You just go to Europe and go and see. You see all their churches, their buildings are all empty. Are, are these going to be your reference? Believe God. Don't take inspiration from backslided people. <laughs> their, their decision not to go to church anymore does not negate the fact, does not remove the fact that God still exists. And that everyone will appear before the judgment seat of Christ and will be judged. Amen. And besides, they are not the ones who brought the gospel to Africa. The gospel was there. Read your Bible. Acts chapter 8. It was moving there already. The Ethiopian eunuch from Ethiopia received the gospel and he took it to the continent. It was there already. Hallelujah. It's been there. It's there in Alexandria, in Egypt. It's been there. The word has been in the continent already. This is not the first time it was being brought. So read your scriptures and believe the word. Don't look at somebody's backsliding to take encouragement from it and say, look at these people. You know how God is going to judge them? You have no idea. And whether because of the works of their forefathers, God will give them chance for revival again. That probably that's why he brought some of us here to preach the gospel. And you two are taking wrong inspiration. So me these days, I don't want to talk about these prayer things and these word of God things because, you know, this gospel. Listen, the wealth of this world is not the same as the blessings of the Lord that makes rich and has no sorrow. The Japanese may have built an economy, but they don't have eternal life. Amen. And when Jesus came, there were people who were already rich. One of his secret disciples was Joseph of Arimathea. The guy was not rich because he followed Jesus. He was already rich before he met Jesus. There were rich people already. So our, our Christianity and our salvation, even if you become born again and you don't become a millionaire, it doesn't mean God has failed. Not everybody is supposed to be a millionaire. The most important thing is that you have eternal life. So what, what does it profit a Japanese? If all of them are rich, and they don't have salvation. When they all die, they will face him. Jesus is not coming back again to die on the cross. He's coming this time as a judge. So if Japanese are lost, that should not be your inspiration. You should rather pray for their salvation. If the Chinese are building an economy, leave them. Let them build on the earth. They will not be here forever. But Jesus will judge every one of them. <laughs> May the Lord deliver us, especially those that go to church. These things I'm saying, I hear them from people who go to church. 
That's why I said they profess Christ one level. But when it comes to the details of the word of God, you see them being ashamed of the gospel and trying to be intellectually nice about it and be, you know, politically correct about it and all those things. Tonight, which one of them have you been ashamed of? Prayer? You don't want people that you, to know that you pray. Jesus said, men always have to pray and not to faint. Jesus said, through Paul, that we have to pray without ceasing. Jesus said, whatsoever you desire, when you pray, believe that you shall have it. Prayer is not for lazy people. It is not an excuse to sit and do nothing and say, nothing will come, that manna is coming from the sky. No, we don't pray because we are believing that manna will come from the sky. No, we know. We know that the manna even ceased as soon as they entered the promised land. God wanted them to till the ground, work it out, but he still wants us to pray. Prayer is not only asking God for things, for me, me, me. Prayer is two-way. Prayer is also to have fellowship with him and receive the strength of God to go on and to have relationship with God. That's prayer too. I mean, how do you think your relationship is going to be with your parents if every time you, you see your mom or your dad, is daddy, give me 500, give me 50p, give me 50 pounds, give me this, mommy, I want a shoe. Your relationship with them is only anytime you see them, mommy, I want a shoe. Daddy, give me a car. This and that. You, you think they are going to be happy? Which parents is going to be, is going to be happy with that? So you, you won't discuss anything about your life? You won't discuss and thank them for anything they have done for you so far? Every time, daddy, oh, hello, daddy, yes, I need 100 pounds. Anytime you call him, it's because you need something. What kind of relationship is this? That's not prayer. So all these stomach direction people teaching people prayer on this. No. Prayer, even if you are not asking for anything, you have a relationship with him. So we go to him for dialogue. Jesus taught extensively on prayer. And he being the son of God, fasted and prayed. Are you ashamed to let people know we are going to fast 21 days? And when we are fasting, yes, we are not supposed to tell anybody, but somewhere along the way, it will come along the line. Would you be confident to talk about fasting? Would you teach about fasting? Or are you ashamed of that one too? We are ashamed of offerings. These days, offerings have become like leprosy. Nobody wants to touch it. Oh, me, I believe, all right. But when it comes to offerings, I don't believe these things. You have to believe it. You are hiding because you fear that you are going to say, hey, your church, they like money. Jesus went to church and he sat down to observe the offering. And if it's the same yesterday, today, and forever, this evening he'll be watching how much offering we are giving. He goes to church to observe how people gave offering. And he made a message, he taught a message from there, that this woman, he was able to even know how much the woman gave. How did we know how much the woman gave? Jesus said, all these people, they have given this, but the woman gave her all, two mites. And that was her all. Her all. So don't say that, oh, it's only coins. It's, our offering is coins. No. Is it your all? The coins you want to give and say, these are my only two mites. Is that your all? That woman, the two mites she had was her all. And don't come and tell me that, oh, well, anyway, now if I know that is the case, I'll bring only two pieces to church and it's all. No, this is, Jesus is not talking about her all in her pocket or wallet. Her whole life, that's what she gave. Are you ready to, to talk about offerings, to teach about offerings? Or you are shy that some people are going to criticize. Listen, this thing is a matter of faith. And we walk with God. We are not of this world. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. Are you ashamed of his words on giving? He said, give, it shall be given back to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over. God shall cause men to give to your bosom. Do you believe him? 
would you act on it? Or you don't want people to know that when you go to jail, you give offering. So, oh, I go to church, all right. Uh, you're ashamed that if you say you give offerings, ah, you two are one of those who give your money to those pastors. <laughs> but if you know your word, you know that you are not giving it to a pastor, but you are giving it to God. And that the way God has organized things is that there will be a physical person that represents him. Some may be genuine, some may not be genuine, but whatever be the case, let your faith move you to give continuously to the work of God. Hallelujah. Knowing very well the God you serve, that he's a righteous judge. If the pastor abused their offering, God will judge him. But you don't, don't, don't make a mistake and say, I believe, I suspect this man is just abusing our offerings. I'm not giving. When you face him on the day, he will ask you, is that your business? That's none of your business. Do your part. You give to God, give it to God. Let God judge the one who is supposed to superintend over it. Amen. And I tell you, there are many more of genuine men of God than what is being put out there. And so you're ashamed now to even call yourself a Christian. Because there have been so many criticisms of pastors. Some time ago, one man of God was talking to me and said, gone are the days when you, call, you go anywhere and say you're a pastor. People respect you. Now, if you say you're a pastor, they don't respect you. Now he's using, he doesn't use the pastor anymore. He doesn't use reverend in his, any of his things. He just uses his title doctor. I said, me, I will use the reverend. I will use the reverend. I, certain qualifications you have, you can't add all on, in, a, in a paper. Yeah. Sometimes somebody's going to say, Bishop, doctor, I said, please, what are you? This is, what, what is confusion? Bishop, doctor, please, just use one. And so which one are you going to add? My surname is already double-barreled. How is it going to fill some places? By the time you bring my my, my gun name. And before you bring the James. The thing is already full. Then you are going to write all these things. Is God. If, I have never heard God call me pastor before. He hasn't called me reverend doctor. He hasn't called me bishop before. Every time he comes. Either James. Or son. That's it. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Amen. Don't be ashamed of his words in Jesus' name. If the world don't understand, pastor, you don't have to worry yourself. It's a spiritual office. Amen. You don't have to explain yourself to them. If they come and they don't understand, they will give them. When people are writing mullah and all those things, we don't worry. They, they, they go ahead, write their names and their titles. This is a spiritual offices. Amen. Amen. Attending church. Jesus thought about that. We don't want to touch it. Are you ashamed to teach about going to church? So oh, with COVID, COVID has now shown that you don't need church. Listen, all that is there is TV. You are watching TV. You are not in church. Church is to physically be in a place. Amen. That has not changed. In Jesus' name, that has not changed. There are certain ministrations you can't receive with just an online ministry. You can't. If we have to lay, there are some issues we have to lay hands on you. How do you handle that one? There are some matters they are beyond. There's a man and his wife, they are pastors, and they are going through some things. Some demon have been coming to their room. At midnight, it flies in. They feel it. It moves them from the bed. They fall down. Now, they talk to their spiritual father in Ghana. He told them the distance, the things they are describing, telephone alone is not enough. Go and see Bishop James. He will handle this for you. So they are coming to see me. 
They are coming from somewhere outside London. I'm warming up for that demon to come and see me. <laughs> there are some things you need to lay hands, apply oil, and cast it out. Jesus did not sit in heaven. This is a golden chance. He could have sat in heaven and saved us. But when it comes to the salvation of human souls, there was a literal physical presence on the earth to ensure that. Otherwise, he would remotely sit there and command our salvation. It doesn't work that way. So don't hide behind COVID reasons. It's a, it's a, this is a chance to see those who are really Christians. You already don't want to come to church. Now you saw COVID and you are hiding behind it. Even if we bring the church to your bedroom, you are not coming to church. We are bringing it to your bedroom now. It's on your iPad. You are late to the service. You are not even watching. So your excuse is not standing. You are ashamed of Jesus Christ and his words. He said, go to church. Let's not forsake the assembly of the brethren together. What kind of believer are you? I want all of us to go to 2022. But I wish Jesus comes on 31st night. <laughs> I know some of the protons don't like me saying that they want to also get married and enjoy the mystery that exists between Christ and his glorious church before the time comes. <laughs> when it comes to evangelism, Jesus said, go out and preach the gospel. This is, these are his words. Are we ashamed of that one too? So carry a placard and say, Jesus, oh, pastor, this one. Uh, let the children carry that. You, you, you want God to bless you, but when it comes to going out, you want the children to go. When God is blessing other people, you stay in church and complain. He said, what he said here is very powerful. This afternoon, just be, be in my spirit of holiness. If you are ashamed of me, I will also be ashamed of you. If we are ashamed to represent him, why do you want him to bless us? Amen. We must not be ashamed of his words because they are God's words. John 3, 34. They are God's words. We must not be, I'll give you seven reasons why we must not be ashamed of the words and then I'll end the message. Very quickly, I'm going to just make them very quickly. Don't be ashamed of the words of Jesus Christ because they are God's words. John 3, 34. They are God's words. He whom God has called. He whom God has sent. Speaks the words of God and he gives him the spirit without measure. The second thing is that don't be ashamed of the words of God because they are spirit. The words of God are spirit. In John 6, 63, it says the words I speak to you, they are life and they are spirit. You don't see it, but it has an effect. The word of God is mysterious. It's not just a book. It's not just a history of the Jews. It is the power of God. See how sometimes you, you come to church and you are down. And by the time the word comes, you get lifted. You can't explain it. The mystery of the word. Number three, don't be ashamed of the words of God because they are life. The word of God is life. John 6, 63 John 6, 63 and 69. John chapter 6, verse 63 and then 69. Glory be to Jesus. And then the fourth one is because they will judge us. The word of God will judge us. That's why you must not be ashamed of the word of God. The word of God will judge you. In John chapter 12, verse 48. John 12, 48. I want to read that one for you. 
These days have been so much in the prophetic mode. It's been warning and warning and warning. Prophets, they see hell before they see heaven. So they warn people about hell. So every time they are talking hell, and yes, because there's too much sin in the world. <laughs> John 4, 48, are we there? Jesus said, anyone who rejects me and does not receive my words has that one judge who will judge him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. The word will judge us. That's why you must not be ashamed of the word. Because we will be judged. The word of God is a mystery. The word will judge us. The word is a person. The word will judge us. Number five, because the word of God is miraculous. The words, they are miraculous. John 14, 23. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Oh, sorry. It should be John 14, 10. Rather, John 14, 10. Sorry. John 14, 10. John 14, 10. When I say they are miraculous. John 14, 10 says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me, he does the works of the words that I speak. That tells you how mysterious the word is. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. And number six, the word of God reconciles us to God. That's why we must not be ashamed of the word. The word reconciles us to God. John 14, 23. John 14, 23 says that Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. What a mystery. Hallelujah. Jesus said, if you have my words and you are not ashamed of the word, the word has a very mysterious way that if the word is located in you and you are keeping the word in you, it has a way of bringing the father into you, bringing the son into you. And of course, the Holy Spirit is also there. He said, we will come and make our abode in him. Mystery. Hallelujah. And finally, the word of God brings answers. That's why we must not reject the word. It is the basis for answered prayer. John 15, 7. John 15, 7. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. See, the word must abide. You must let the word stay in you. Stay in Christ and let the word stay in you. Some of us, the word is on transit. We hear it on Sunday and it's gone out by the, by the ear, by the time we leave the service. Because these days, so many things distract us. We are in service where God is being worshipped. And you are on your phone checking whether Manchester United is losing or, or winning. Whether the NBA, the match is coming on or not. Whether the stocks are going up or not. What is going on on the WhatsApp platform of the old students? Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it shall be done. So what we ask and what will be done is linked to whether the word is abiding in us and whether we are actually living by the word. God is a God of principles. He set all these things in motion. Tonight, I leave you with these questions. If you are arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? 
if you are arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Is there anything about your life that is not ashamed of Jesus Christ and is not ashamed of his words? Because that's what somebody will be able to pick on and say, this one is a Christian. When Daniel was being picked upon, they said, we know one thing that will trap him. He has never stopped seeking the face of his God. Let's put a ban in place to say nobody should pray. And that's how Daniel fell into the trap. That's how he was convicted. He was convicted for praying to his God. <laughs> if you are arrested for being a Christian, I'm talking about a Christian according to Jesus Christ's definition, not political correctness Christianity. Hallelujah. Would there be enough evidence to convict you? Are you ashamed of Jesus Christ? Are you ashamed of his words? If you are not, from tonight, let there be a difference. And I won't be the one to watch you. The one who taught us this is watching. From tonight, you are under divine observation to be unashamed of Jesus Christ and of his words. If you are not ashamed of his words, everything Jesus preached, preach it. Preach it wherever you find yourself, preach it. In the name of Jesus. And I tell you, he's well able to preserve you and favor you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Wherever you are, I just want you to pray. Thank the Lord for his word. As the year is about to end, when you assess your life throughout the whole year, have you been ashamed of him? How passionate are you about him? How shameless can you be about Jesus and about his words? Can you teach on sexual immorality that Jesus preached about? Or that one we don't want to touch it? Because we want to please our friends. We say we, we don't drink alcohol, but we serve our friends alcohol. What is wrong with you? Who are you ashamed of? Your friends or Jesus Christ? Help me, Lord Jesus. There is a revival of holiness into the church again. Into the body of Christ. The Bible says upon Mount Zion there shall be deliverance and there shall be holiness. Then my people shall possess their possessions. God is not mocked. He's not a magician. It's not a magician. It doesn't work outside his word and the principles of his word. Are we ashamed of Jesus? Tonight ask God for mercies and forgiveness. What kind of Christian are you? The Christian that want to please your friends, classmates, colleagues, neighbors, at the expense of the Christ who died for your sins. Tonight, let there be a redefinition and a reassessment. Because he's coming back again. In the name of Jesus.